Cause all the people I truly serve Salmons, this is Year Zero. Today, I have Scott Horton on the show. For those of y'all who do not know or are new to the show, Scott Horton is the founding director of the Libertarian Institute. You can find it at libertarianinstitute.org. He's also the host of the Scott Horton Show and author of Fool's Errand, Time to War, End the War in Afghanistan, and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. I asked Scott to come on the show to discuss the rumors that Iran is two weeks from developing a nuclear weapon. So I thought it would be appropriate to talk to an expert on the subject. But before we jump into show, remember, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, rate me at five stars, because five stars is the only appropriate number of stars, and give me a good review, man. We're out here, um, all podcasters are out here fighting a, a fight against the propaganda of the cathedral, and we all need your support. Whether you send a couple of dollars a month to my PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Tommy Salmons, or you rate and review the show, everything is always appreciated, including my sponsors, so to speak. Go to ryanbunting.com for any of that artistic ability that Ryan has to offer. He's the one who designed my podcast logo. I believe he also designed Pete Quinones' podcast logo. Ryan's a good dude, and uh, we have to support our own. Also, thanks to Tom Burton for the music. And I'd like to throw a special thank you out to one of my listeners. I do not have permission to use his name, but he bought me the domain name, TommySalmons.com, and it links directly to my substack. TommySalmons.substack.com so that is fucking awesome I am truly appreciative of that any help that y'all have that y'all can offer share, subscribe, rate, review and uh, donate man thank y'all very much enjoy the show alright we're here with a proud papa of a brand new book enough already time to end the war on terrorism Mr. Scott Horton. What's going on, buddy? I'm hanging out. How you doing, bud? Good, good. How does it feel to be done with that book? I know that one was a that one was tested your patience at times. Yeah, man, it's quite a relief. And of course, now I still got to do the audiobook. I just started I'm about halfway through chapter one of the audiobook, but I got <clears throat> I just got another hundred in the in the mail today. I got I think that should take care of all the donors that I already owe one to. And I got another batch of 400 coming on Monday. And then I'm going to send one to everybody I owe a book to for helping to put this thing together. You know, everybody on my thank you list basically yeah. gets one. And 
all of my best interviewees that I want to review it still, if they're willing, that kind of thing. And then we're going to do a big fundraiser at the Institute. And so we'll be signing and giving away copies of that. So I have a lot of signing and boxing and mailing of books in my future uh, to do still here. And, you know, it's still a big project. And I got Michael Heiss has got me going all over this spring doing speeches to libertarian party groups. And um, I'm not sure what else, but I'm going to be doing everything I can to try to promote the book. Once we get through the fun drive, one of the purposes of the fun drive, and this will probably be in a week or two, I guess. One of the purposes of the fun drive is I want to raise a lot of money to buy wholesale copies of the book to send out for free to, I don't know, most important libraries in the most important cities, most important peace activists, most important congressmen and senators, their staff, most important, whoever, you know, radio hosts and media personalities that we can think of to try to promote it. And I really want to get this thing out here, man. You know, we got a great libertarian movement and a great anti-war movement in this country, but I really want this book to get kind of, you know, widespread recognition. And even if not everybody reads it, but they just know that, Hey, look, you know, there's this new book out that says it doesn't have to be this way. And we could call this off now. And the prior consensus is now canceled. And now we've got a new consensus. You know, that's the purpose of the book is to give people something concrete to stand on, to say that, man, you don't have to believe in this stuff, you know? Right. So, and Especially with the populism movement and, you know, um, the number one thing that everybody is going around flaunting about Trump is he didn't start any new wars. So right. it's, it's a perfect opportunity to get people that are aware of what's going on and um, this book in front of them. So I, I agree with you. That's, it's really good. I, I did tell somebody earlier, it is, it's pretty timely um, just in time for the, it co the release of time to end the war on terrorism coincides with the Biden administration declaring war on domestic terrorism. So that, you know, that's a little ironic, but I swear I was not trying to abet that and just say, bring army home and unleash them against us. Right. You know, I, I even made, made sure to say in the book that I'm not saying that we should focus on Russia and China instead, which a lot of terrible war hawks say, I even, you know, made sure to write a whole little separate chapter about that. About right. how both of those fights are fights that our government has picked just the same as with the terrorists here. And that we don't have to do any of this stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, one of these, um, I can't remember her name, man. It's one of the CIA Democrats, this new lady in the House of Representatives who is a former CIA officer. And she was, you know, in reaction to the Capitol mob scene, she was declaring war on domestic terrorism. And the way she put it, and this is, I like to hear this part. I hated the second half. But the first half of what she said was she goes, look, face it, the post 9-11 era is over. Now is the new era of the war on domestic terrorism. Yeah. Well, like, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not, yeah, not on the second part, but on the first part of, yeah, you know what? That's right. It's the 2020s now. The Bush Obama era with the four years of Trump as the capstone on the top of that. That's just done. That's just done. Why should we continue? And I know it's Biden who's been around all along. We'd be way better off with Buddy Jug or whoever. Somebody just if they were newer and younger and different. Instead, it's stupid old standby Biden 
sitting in the chair now, the old establishment restored to their throne and all that. But it's still the 2020s. And it's still an era when, as you just said, the new consensus on the right is we never should have done Bush's wars. And the best thing about our latest political hero is that he didn't make it worse. Yeah. Okay. So you know what? That's, that's good. And that's for us. And it's bad for the establishment and for the war party. That's a, a huge hill for them to climb. And I know that public opinion doesn't mean a lot when it comes to public policy. In fact, someone just published a new study like this the other day where what the public thinks essentially means nothing. It's all what special interest groups demand. But I got to say, I think war is the exception to that. And if you look, and I don't know if that study addressed war in, say, for example, Syria in 2013. But in 2013, Obama wanted to go to war in Syria over the fake false flag Turkish and Al-Qaeda sarin attack there in um, the suburbs of Damascus. And the American people just said no, no. And the right, and part of it was because they just hated Obama and didn't trust him to be their commander in chief and all of that kind of thing. And part of it was really was because of Breitbart and Stephen Bannon and Breitbart put out the message that, look, in Syria, they want to fight a war for Al-Qaeda against a secular dictator. And we just don't want to do that. Gas attack or not. You know, and so then that was the word that went out over talk radio. This is before Trump came and said anti-war things. This is back in 2013. Mm -hmm. And the Republicans, especially all of their constituents, were saying we don't want to do this. And it didn't hurt that the House of Commons in Britain also voted no on the thing. And then Obama punted. He said, forget it. You know what we'll do? Let's have Congress vote on whether I can have this war or not. And then he called Pelosi and Schumer and said, by the way, tell your people that they can vote however they want. Vote your conscience. Don't vote the way I want. In other words, don't whip them into shape. Don't make them support me on this. I don't want their support on this. Right. Because he knew he was out on a limb. He didn't have the support of the public. And, you know, you can do a lot with us, but you can't just send us to war without at least the Republican voters of America saying that they're for it. You know, the Democrat voters of America, they'll go along with, you know, one of their leaders, especially somebody as charismatic as Obama. They'll let him get away with things, but they're not war hawks. You know, in D.C., the liberals are, are monsters, but I just mean in the country, regular Democratic Party voters, they don't support a doctrine of world empire and dominance and all this stuff. And don't want anything to do with that. You need right wing Republican Tea Party populist voters to say, yeah, let's go kick ass and be tough guys and beat up and well, turn that region to glass over there. That's what I say. That's the the narrative that they need. That's the consensus that they need on the right to wage mm-hmm. these wars. Without that, they just can't do it. And so then that's our important, our most important mission is to build on top of that sentiment that frankly, Bush discredited, Obama discredited, and then Trump, even though he continued the wars, he continually trashed them all along to the American right. That Mm -hmm. what it means to be a Trump supporter is you hate George W. Bush and you Mm -hmm. don't believe in any of the stupid, horrible things he did. Well, man, thank you, Donald Trump, for that. That's the single probably greatest thing that he did for our culture right there was to tell the right wing what it means to be one of us is that we don't believe in these things that you guys all believed in the day before yesterday. 
Yeah. And they agreed with him. They followed him on that. It was a miracle. It was wonderful. Yeah. But it does seem like the thing, the, the country he was worse on, worse than, well, I don't know if he was worse on Iran than he was on China, but he was pretty bad on Iran. And yeah. as soon as Biden took office, Iran became the central focus. Once again, we ended up with more troops in Syria, um, you know, on top of the ones that Jim Jeffries, or I guess that's how you say his name, Jeffries, admitted to lying to Trump about the, the number of. And then now I saw a whole hashtag campaign last night I had, I had texted you about uh, Houthi terrorists and just mm-hmm. people just dogpiling on, on the Houthis. Um, That's I saw, so funny. I saw I mean, that whole day. thing is just a Saudi PR campaign. It's so obviously fake and AstroTurf. Yep. And they had the, the day for the International Day of Recognition for Yemen on last Monday. And the Saudi PR firms put out all these robots and slaves and God knows who over there to tweet. Oh, no, it's the Houthis who are the bad guys or whatever. We were all making fun of them and stuff over on my Twitter feed. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm not saying the Houthis are the good guys here, but they are the victims of aggression. Right. You know, regardless of, of who they are and how they are exactly is almost beside the point here. Um, it's the U.S. and the Saudis are wearing the much blacker hats as far as that goes. Right. And so I just don't want to hear it. I, you know, I'm sure that the Houthis, I know that they've laid landmines where they should not have. Uh, they're accusing that PR campaign of, um, of using child soldiers, but I know for a fact, and I can prove it to you easy that the American side, the UAE army is not just full of Al Qaeda guys, but is also full of child soldiers and that British special operations forces on the ground have been training those child soldiers for use against the Houthis. So, you know, what's our excuse when we're the West going along with that same kind of thing. And we're saying that's what makes them the barbarians, but then that's what makes us the barbarians too. So I don't want to hear it. Right. You know, well, Um, and it's all, and then I'm sorry, what was it that you, Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying all these things are tied to Iran. They all want to blame That's Iran. Right. And and then you start seeing the conservatives and the populists, the former Trump supporters, I guess quasi still Trump supporters starting to to share this hashtag and you're yeah. like, "Okay, so 4 years of y'all saying, "Oh, it's great that we didn't start a, a new war" is, is all for naught. And, and so now we have multiple uh, more troops in Syria. We have this entire propaganda scheme about Iran nuclear weapons um, going on. Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson was talking about it the other night. And, and we have the Houthi terrorist who I think oh, was tell me he was making fun of them, right? No, no, he was, oh. he was saying that the, the Biden administration admits that now, um, because and he, the way it sounded to me was he was trying to blame the JCPOA, the and Man. and say that Iran is closer, only two weeks away from you know ninety percent you know enrichment. What a bunch of crap, man. Yeah, that's really sad. I saw this as soon as Biden sworn in. 
I saw a tweet. He says, oh, great. Now he's going to sell out Israel and turn America over to Iran and the chai comms. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you people are living in a fantasy world. Let me tell you, first and foremost, Biden is the worst Zionist in the history of all of Washington, D.C., from Harry Truman onwards until Donald Trump arrived. And then when Donald Trump left, the crown went right back to Joe Biden. There ain't nobody more in the corner of Likud than Joe Biden. Anybody who says otherwise doesn't know the first thing about it at all. If they did, they would say, oh, yeah, no, he's Netanyahu's loyal servant. We don't have to worry about that. You can hate whatever you want about Joe Biden. But if you're a pro-Israel guy, he's your guy. (laughs) You know, sorry, but that's just true. And sell us out to the Ayatollah. The Ayatollah's got as much power as the governor of Louisiana. Okay, the governor, (laughs) the Ayatollah has no Navy. Uh, He's got one battleship, one small, you know, coastal submarine, not a deep water submarine. He's got nothing. He's got no Air Force other than the F. 14s that Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford gave them back in the 1970s before I was born that we don't even fly anymore. We threw all our Tomcats in the sea 20 years ago. Okay. Um, And they have no land army whatsoever. And every bit of progress that they've made and gain in power and influence they've made in the Middle East in the last 20 years is directly at the hands of George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And so screw them. They got no right to complain whatsoever. The idea that they're a threat to the U.S. or a threat to Israel is just a laughable joke. Right. Mm -hmm. That's like saying, yeah, I'm coming over to your house, Tommy, to kick your ass. But, yeah, somehow I got to get through your dogs first and then. You know, as anybody could tell, you're fucking twice as tough as me anyway. Don't even need <laughs> What's the problem? There's no threat to you from me. You know that. And if you go around saying Scott Horton's threatening me, everybody knows that you're lying. That's stupid. Those dogs could kick my ass before I got anywhere near you. Yeah. And everybody can see. Right. It's the same thing. This whole thing. It's just a stupid lie is all it is. And anybody who believes in it is just a damn fool or They like being afraid. And so let's believe in a fun, scary thing. But for God's sake, Iran's about to make nukes, huh? How many times have you heard that? They've been claiming that really. No lie. Starting with Shimon Perez since 1992. Oh, Ron, they're months away from the ability to make a nuclear weapon. Well, if that's true, how come they haven't been able to make a single atom bomb in 30 years? The answer is because they never were trying. These people are just liars. You know, the CIA and Mossad both agree. The Israelis themselves, when they're forced to tell the truth due to short term political circumstances, admit that they haven't even done research in a nuclear weapon since 2003. When Anthony Blinken says, oh, they're, you know, hypothetically weeks away from a nuclear weapon. What he means is their stockpile of low enriched uranium, if a magic wish turned it into highly enriched uranium and another magic wish turned it into a machined warhead, then they would have an atom bomb. Mm. Right. But the reality is they're not enriching up to weapons grade. They never have. They never tried. Mm. That's not their deal. They have a civilian nuclear program. 
And the people who say otherwise are liars and the fools who believe them. It's just yeah. as simple as that. And so Anthony Blinken, you know, I don't know about this. You know, my initial impression was that he was doing the same stupid thing they did during Obama when they said, oh, look, the choice is either the deal or war. If we don't have the deal, then we're going to end up with a war because the deal is the only thing to keep them from an atom bomb. But they're not making bombs in the first place. So that's a reckless and dangerous way to phrase it. You're conceding too much to the Hawks mm -hmm. that this deal is necessary to prevent a nuke. It's not. The deal was necessary to take the hoax of the threat of an Iranian nuke off the table because it became so unbelievable at that point under the deal that no one could tell that lie with a straight face anymore. That was the only real purpose of the deal. And um, so, jeez, uh, I forgot my train of thought. But um, the point being that um, the uh, oh, so if they get back. Oh, so so then so Tony Blinken says, you know, makes this absurd kind of, you know, extrapolation that, geez, if they change their mind, and decided to begin to try to make a nuke. And then everything went right as fast as possible. They'd have a nuke in no time. <clears throat> I think he was probably saying that so that he could frame it like, that's why we got to get back in the deal, right? But I'm not as sure about that. I mean, it seems like, you know, Javad Zarif, the reigning foreign minister said, well, let's get back in the deal then, man. If that's who you were, then do the thing. And then they said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to consult with our allies first and whatever. It could be they're just trying to placate the Israelis a little bit and the Saudis a little bit before they get back in the deal. Um, there is a mechanism which the Iranians were proposing and which is already established in the deal itself or in the protocols before the deal that they can set up this European commission so that it's not the Americans or the Iranians in charge. They both pass the ball to the Europeans and then the Europeans will set up a thing where they say you start abiding by more restrictions and you start lifting some sanctions and then they coordinate it. And then we're following their lead so that we don't have to, we're not making concessions to them and they're not making concessions to us. We're both just obeying the new orchestra conductor that we put up there, agreed to put up there to orchestrate both of our actions back into the deal. And that was what Zarif proposed. And then they said, no, mm -hmm. but um, then the worst part is then the other thing that you said that then Tucker Carlson goes, oh, yeah, see this ridiculous lie out of the mouth of this Obama bot, this uh, Anthony Blinken, the new secretary of state. That's the baseline of truth. Aha. See, even Blinken admits they're just weeks away from a bomb. Well, right. come on. This is Tucker Carlson. The obvious spin is the truth the other way. That look at these reckless, lying Democrats. This is how they want to get back in the deal by pretending to believe that Iran is just weeks away from a nuke. Well, geez, what if diplomacy fails? Are we going to have to go to war to prevent them from the nuke that they're not seeking just because Tony Blinken wants to frame it that way? That is what Tucker Carlson should have said. And no excuses, because if there's one guy on TV on the eastern seaboard about any of this stuff who gets this right ever, it's him. And I don't know if he knows any stuff about like any real details about the nuclear program, but usually he just dismisses this talk about Iran. Oh, Iran, who cares about that? That's stupid. Let's talk about something else instead, he says, you know, mm -hmm. but for him to glom onto that and go with his whatever producer spin on that, that, oh, yes, this proves what a danger Iran is. Mm -hmm. That's a huge disappointment. And he should know better than that.
Yeah, you know? I was I was shocked by it when I saw the when I saw the clip and he's like, and now the Biden administration says Iran is only two weeks away from a nuclear weapon. I was like, okay, so are you going to correct them? Because we all know this isn't true. We right. all know Iran has never, you know, uh, had uranium beyond 20% enrichment. We know right. this, like, this is just a fact it's out there. It's in the open. Like you said, it's been since the nineties, they've been saying, Oh, six months, six months, six months. They've been saying six months for the last freaking two decades. So yep. when's this six months going to end? You I know. Know? And no, really, I mean, think about, um, it's, it's, it's almost hard to, to really conceive of, man. I think about the time I spent out, you know, driving a cab or doing, you know, delivering auto parts or whatever jobs I've had, you know, like in the Bush years and the Obama years out working, you know, regular jobs, driving around, commuting and whatever, listening to talk radio. And then always it's either Fox or ABC, top of the hour news on the AM stations, dun, 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 top of the hour news, ABC news, Iran's nuclear weapons threat. What's going to be done about it? Will Israel or America attack them first? Everybody knows they're making nukes. I mean, that went out not just in my truck, right? But that went out in 50 million trucks. Uh, 5,000 times, 10,000 times, 50,000 times over. Everybody who drives a truck for a living, a semi like yours or a little old Nissan hard body like mine, over and over and over at the top of the hour news, Iran is making nuclear weapons. Iran is making nuclear weapons. Every right-wing magazine, every right-wing talk show, every right-wing think tank always presumes and claims and says, over and over and over and over. If you multiply those radio broadcasts, those TV claims by the millions of eyeballs and ear holes who have had to absorb all of that, it's just incalculable. Yeah. Meanwhile, none of it was true. All of it was a lie. All of it is just the Israelis screwing in the brain because they like telling lies. As simple as that. And if there was any truth to it, then they would have some atom bombs by now. And they don't because they never even tried. As you said, they never enriched to weapons grade. Not one moment, not for a single day. And everybody knows it. it's established fact. It's well, not even disputable. You know, the Israelis used to say, well, you know, they have a and their fifth column in America. You say, well, they have a secret parallel nuclear weapons program. This is this IAEA inspected stuff is just a ruse. OK, yeah, well, that was 20 years ago and 15 years ago and 10 years ago that they were claiming that. Where's the secret parallel program? There's not one under the JCPOA. They opened up inspections far beyond any reason, beyond any inspection regime in world history. There's not the slightest hint of a secret parallel program again. Those were just lies the Israeli government was saying. And that was why talk radio then repeated it to us over and over and over again. The Israelis wanted it said the American hawks repeated it. And then talk radio let us know it was the news. But the fact that we're having the conversation we're having in the year 2021 at all means I was right all along and they were lying all along. Yeah. Well, and, and what what's really disappointing is you listen to these people and they're like can you believe joe biden just sent more troops to syria 
And oh my God, Iran's about to have a nuclear weapon. Don't you realize the same people telling you that we need right. troops in Syria are the same people saying that Iran's about to have a nuclear weapon? Right. Yeah. Well, and of course, yeah, it's anything to just have a talking point, a partisan talking point. It's got no, no, as you say, no consistent narrative behind it because it has no real knowledge behind it. These troops that went to Syria, well, where'd they come from? They didn't, you know, fall out of the sky. And they didn't roll in from the Mediterranean Sea. They're in Western Iraq. And mm -hmm. when they crossed the border into Syria, that wasn't even a tactical change, Tommy, much less a change in strategy or policy. As the news stories themselves said right there in the second and third paragraph, this happens all the time. It's just mm -hmm. a convoy of trucks and equipment and men that go back and forth because America occupies Eastern Syria and Western Iraq. It's an American territory in mm -hmm. a sense. Yeah. And, and so our trucks go back and forth across delivering men and equipment and food and ammo and whatever. And then that's it. It doesn't mean anything. It's not even a change in tactics, right. much less strategy or policy. It means nothing. But then a bunch of, you know, MAGA guys, put it out on Twitter, Jack Pobasek or whoever, and all these guys went, aha, look at what a hawk Joe Biden is. Just don't click the link and read the link where it right. says that this doesn't say what I say it says. And the same thing happened at the same time. As again, on Twitter, it made a huge impression. Some guy in a stormtrooper helmet with a pretend name, just some anonymous guy on Twitter, linked to a Jerusalem Post article and said, Joe Biden's government is contemplating putting thousands of troops back in Iraq. And then you click the Jerusalem Post article, and it doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. There's not a single sentence that even implies that. The closest thing it comes is the guy who wrote it was a hawk saying, Joe Biden ought to consider putting some troops back in Iraq. But that <laughs> just says some Israeli. Wishful thinking. Yeah. And then that thing got, I swear to God, it got tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of retweets and likes from MAGA guys who want to believe that, aha, see, Biden's the hawk. He's now putting troops into Iraq and Syria when, man, they never left. They never left. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and meanwhile, the reason there was no other reporting anywhere in the world that said that Biden was thinking about putting more into Iraq was because that wasn't true. Well, and, and that was why it wasn't being repeated anywhere else. It well, was it, the only source for it. Even the Hill TV, the morning show on Hill TV, Crystal Ball and the other guy mm -hmm. did a whole thing on it based on some jerk's tweet. Yeah. Some anonymous jerk lying about what was in a Jerusalem Post piece. And they're too lazy to click the damn link themselves before they go on TV claiming that it's real. It, it's pathetic. It, well, well, the point the. And, and then if you really want to burrow down into the story, let's say it were true. Let's say Biden sent 5,000 more ground troops to, to Syria or Western Iraq. Let's just say he did that. Why is he doing that? Because Israel is a hawk against Iran. It all boils right. down to the same thing. It's all That's coming right. from the same propaganda source. You know, That's right. And look, there's no secret about it, man. I mean, if you go and look at when, Remember, Trump tried to get out of Syria twice in 2018 and 2019. He said, that's it. I want the troops out. The second mm -hmm. time, Mattis resigned over it. Yeah. Both times he backed down anyway. Mattis could have stayed. He changed his mind and backed down anyway. And there ain't no question why. You just put it in your search engine, man. 
over and over. You find 10 different stories. The Israelis are screaming bloody murder. America can't leave Syria now. You'll be leaving us more vulnerable to the Iran, Syria, Hezbollah weapons pipeline than ever before. Well, whose fault is that? Yes, sons of bitches this whole time. Right. But then they stayed. That was it. He backed down and they stayed. They have to stay at the Al-Tanf base, which is right near the highway. It's, I guess, Highway 2 in Iraq. I forget which number it is once you get to Syria. Mm -hmm. But this is what they call the land bridge. You know, a road. Yeah. The land bridge from Iran through Iraq which, wait a minute, wasn't Saddam Hussein standing in the way of the thing? Oh, something happened there. I forget. For some reason, Iran has dominance in Iraq right now. And they can just uh, ship, you know, uh, sh uh, supplies, weapons across the land, across Iraq, uh, especially now the Islamic State's out of the way, through Syria to Hezbollah. Yeah. And so I swear you'll find 10 stories from 2018 and 2019, whenever both times Trump tried to leave. And the Israelis say they don't even bother mentioning ISIS. They don't even bother saying, oh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you got to fight ISIS for us. <laughs> yeah, that's all over, dude. They're, look, that, there's a reason America backed ISIS. Turkey and Saudi backed the Islamic State, which is just Al Qaeda in Iraq and Syria and the, the Iraqi dominated faction and helped them build that caliphate. And that was for the same reason they want us to stay now, to yep. spite Hezbollah and Iran and Assad and the Shiites. And Assad is an Alawite, but they're very closely associated with the Shiites. Well, and allied and, with Iran and Hezbollah. And that's what it's always been about. It's as simple as that, man. Well, and it all traces back to George W. Bush. I mean, probably further than that, but you can trace it back to George W. Bush uh, giving the Shiites control over Iraq, you know? And it, now trying to make up for that fact. That's exactly. Right. I mean, yeah. And now they're yeah, just kissing I, ass. That's right. And I'm always beating a dead horse about this, but you know, I get a lot of reaction about it because people don't understand American foreign policy over there is such a wreck and such a mess. And I think this really helps to clarify it, that after a few years of Iraq war two, at the end of 05, beginning of 06, the Bush administration kind of had a heart to heart with itself about how, man, we kind of really screwed this up. And by about the end of 06 and beginning of 07, Bush had decided that, OK, we have to placate the Saudi king by tilting back toward the Sunnis. And Salme Khalilzad went to Saudi Arabia and said, I'm so sorry, your highness, we really screwed this up. And we're going to do everything we can to fix it for you. And they launched this policy, the redirection. And so. You know, American policy in the Middle East, we back this Sunni alliance system and, you know, uh, based with the Saudis as the kingpins in it. Right. The kings of Arabia, as well as Kuwait, Jordan, Turkey and the Israelis. And then the other side is Iran, uh, Syria and Hezbollah. And then when Bush launched Iraq War II, he added Iraq to Iran's side of the ledger. When Iraq had already been with us and had always been with us in Saudi, it was led by a Sunni king. In fact, that's in the WikiLeaks. This is what the king told Khalilzad. It was always you and us and Saddam against Iran. Now look what you've done. You've given Iraq to Iran on a golden platter, you dummy. Mm -hmm. And then Khalilzad says, yeah, sorry about that, your highness, and we're going to fix it for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then that's it. That's the redirection. 
So why, how do we explain American foreign policy in the 21st century? George W. Bush gave Baghdad to Tehran. And then ever since then, Bush, Obama and Trump been trying to make up for it by tilting back toward the Saudis. But in practice, that means bad news, Al Qaeda. The Saudis don't have an army. They got a bit of an air force. They don't have much of a land army. They got Al Qaeda, suicide bombers, shock troop terrorists. Right. And so then that's we back in Libya and in Syria and then, yes, leading and culminating to the rise of the Islamic State Caliphate of 2014 through 17. Right. And, and people. And that's it. And that's the bad news, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it's such a it. I mean, we're on my podcast, so I can just say this. It's such a clusterfuck that. When you when you look at everything that's happening in the Middle East, you look at at what's going on in Yemen, you look at what's going on in Syria, you look at the the propaganda and the demonizing of Iran, it all comes back to the Saudis and Israel and and their and their cartelization of the region and trying to create this almost like their own little kind of Ottoman empire between the two of them. I I can't really, I can't even really like put in words exactly what they're trying to do, but it's almost like this hegemonic like state that they're both trying to rule over in conglomerate together. It's really strange. It's, it's really odd that, that, that like brotherhood between Israel and Saudi Arabia is a very strange one. When I look at it, I I don't know if it makes sense in some kind of far-fetched way that I haven't been able to venture into, but I just can't. No, it's just enemy of my enemy, right? Yeah, no, it's enemy of my enemy. That's all it is. The the Persian Shiite menace must be contained. And so let's help each other do that is basically it. And, you know, the UAE is a big part of that, too. And it's interesting that the Qataris and the Turks are on the same side of the ledger in the Sunni Shia wars. But the Qataris and Turks also have their own kind of separate axis of power in competition with the Saudis and the UAE. And so we've just seen that really come to a head with the, you know, kind of Trump administration acquiesced to siege of the Qataris by the UAE and Saudi that almost led to war. But then the Turks sent troops to fight um, or not to, you know, to, to prevent a fight, basically uh, to back up the Qataris. And they finally just lifted that siege a few weeks ago. Um, and they've, you know, taken the opposite side of each other in Egypt, for example, where the Qataris backed the revolution and the Saudis worked hard to support the counter revolution. Yeah. And um, and and then you also have the Turks and the Qataris back the Muslim Brotherhood back government in Tripoli, while the Saudis are on the and the Egyptians are on the side of Haftar and the Russians trying to stop them. Yeah. So, and that's all within the American Sunni alliance that. Well, and, and, and all these, quote unquote, peace treaties that were signed in the Middle East at the end of Trump's administration were all putting more control in the hands of the Saudis and the Israels, Israelites, yep. Israelis, I guess is the proper way to say it. <laughs> Stumbling over myself. But Israelites yeah. is right, but that's Sunday school. This is Friday night. <laughs> yeah. This is Friday night lights. But uh yeah, so so it wasn't like the peace treaties were actually like 
a con- uh, more of a consolidation of power and not necessarily finding peace. It was actually giving more control over to Israel and Saudi Arabia. That's right. And at the expense of the Palestinians is the real story there, right? Because, um, you know, Ted Snyder wrote this great piece for antiwar.com explaining how this is really the Netanyahu doctrine. This is his um, kind of evolution of the previous policy where they went from the periphery doctrine, which says that we back the Turks, the Ethiopians and the Iranians from the Israeli point of view, I'm saying now mm-hmm. um, against our nearer enemies like the Syrians, the Iraqis and the Egyptians, right? To keep them essentially separated, divided in their attention by having rivals on the on their far side from Israel. Right. Right. Well, that was the policy, I guess, all through certainly for decades until um, the beginning or kind of late, early 1990s in the Clinton administration, when they changed this policy to making nice with the Arab states and negotiating with the Palestinians, not a true independent Palestinian state, but negotiating with them at the same time as demonizing Iran and turning on Iran and making them the bad guy. And, um, you know, it's funny because it was a distraction at the time when when uh, Yitzhak Rabin was the first prime minister to really do this. The deal was that he wanted to negotiate with the Arabs and say, yeah, but we had to because look at how dangerous the Iranians are and and they're so dangerous. That's why we have to do this. Right. But then he was assassinated by a Netanyahu fan and every other prime minister after that. They've stuck with the demonized Iran policy, but not so they can negotiate with the Palestinians. But to distract from the fact that they'll never negotiate with the Palestinians. And anytime anybody complains about how they treat the Palestinians, they go, yeah, but what about Iran? And use that as a distraction. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, though, they have wanted to negotiate with the Arab states and continue that part of the policy from Rabin. But the problem is the Arab states have had this policy that they won't recognize Israel officially until Israel either gives the Palestinians uh, their own independent state on the West Bank and Gaza Strip or citizenship and freedom as members of one state. Um, But one way or the other, the Palestinians must be free. Otherwise, we won't recognize you. That was the policy. Well, so what they what the Trump government engineered here was they got the. Um, government of United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan and Morocco to go ahead and forsake the Palestinians and recognize Israel anyway. Right. And so this is not a peace treaty. None of these countries were at war with Israel. Sudan declared war on them. I don't know if they sent a single soldier to fight, but declared war on them in the 67 war. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess a guy sent me a tweet that says, yeah, UAE declared war in 73, but they didn't do anything. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great distinction without a difference there. Um, they, they never fought and there certainly weren't in any kind of state of war now. It's like there's a ceasefire or anything. There was no war going on. All that was happening was, was the UAE was being and, and the rest of these were being bribed by the American taxpayer weapon suppliers that we will give you all these guns if you will just forget about the Palestinians and go ahead and officially recognize Israel now. And so, and then of course all the MAGA guys, wow, 
give Donald Trump a peace prize because he brought peace to the Middle East. When again, they don't know the first thing about it, right? They don't know the first thing about it or they wouldn't be able to say that. What do you mean brought peace? UAE wasn't in the middle of a war with Israel, dummy. You know, it's just a headline for them to glom onto and, and cheer about. And just like you say, they'll on one hand go, yeah, Trump didn't start any new wars. And oh, no, look, Biden is putting more troops in Syria. And then the same breath. Oh, Biden's selling us out to Iran and isn't doing enough <laughs> to fight the evil Iranian menace because you just give a right winger a talking point. As long as it comes from above, they'll take it and follow it. Yeah. You know, you know, you say you say you say Sudan uh, declared war on Israel and UAE declared war on Israel, but nothing ever came of it. I mean, how blessed would we be if our government would actually declare war on people and not take action? Right. Our government doesn't declare war and just whatever. That's right. They never <laughs> stopped. They last time they declared war was in 1942 against Hungary. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I'm like, well, maybe it is a backwards way of living over there. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you got anything? I mean, I know you've been covering Iran for for decades, man. You got anything closing on Iran? Well, I mean, I'm hopeful they're going to get back in the deal. We don't have anything to fight about with them. Right. You know, people want to pretend Iran has all this power. Israel's some helpless victim and all this. It's just nonsense. You know, Martin Indyk, who was known as Israel's lawyer when he worked for Bill Clinton in, you know, ruining the peace agreements by taking Israel's side all the time. The guy who insisted on the dual containment policy. He wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal. I think it was the journal. I quote it in the book um, back a couple of years ago now, I guess, where he goes, yeah, let's just throw in the towel on the Middle East, man. We don't need to be over there. None of this matters. Israel's not in danger. And due to I'm pretty sure this is the way he puts it. American largesse. The Israelis are now more than capable of taking on every country in the Middle East if they had to, which is absolutely true with their air power and their armor they could take if they had to they could fight hezbollah and syria and iraq and jordan and egypt in the same week without any more assistance from us and take them there's just nobody around with the power to challenge the israelis they are the regional hedgemen just simple as that and by the way the chances of all those countries and powers coming into an alliance together against them is zero Right. That's not even in the cards, but I'm just saying hypothetically. You're right. And, and Martin Indyk was saying Martin Indyk, Israel's lawyer, was saying Israel doesn't need our help anymore, man. We gave him so much weapons and, and equipment and whatever. Just forget about it. And so that's it. We don't need the oil. We're oil exporters. If the Japanese and the Indians and the South Koreans and the Australians want to buy Middle Eastern oil, let them secure the sea lanes. What the hell do we have to do with that anyway? <laughs> yeah. Why should we bother? And, and meanwhile, let's say you want a few American battleships cruising the Indian Ocean, keeping the pirates down. Fine. Whatever. Why do you have to dominate the Middle East for that? Right. There's no threat to Persian Gulf shipping. The Iranians aren't trying to shut down. Who's shutting down Persian Gulf shipping? We are. Yeah. We made Iranian shipping illegal with our sanctions we're the ones there's no threat to the persian gulf there's, this whole thing is just made up man again it's just like me going tommy i'm coming over there pal 
In fact, it's just like me not even saying that. It's just like me sitting here doing nothing and you pretending I said that and pretending to be worried about it. <laughs> Come on, man. This is a joke. Yeah. It's not it's not to be taken seriously. Right. You know, yeah. it's just not. All right. Well, I just wanted to keep this one kind of short. You want to tell us about the book, man, and where where to find it? Yeah. The book is uh, the Iranian Revolution, the Iran-Iraq War, Iraq War One, Iraq War One and a Half, the rise of Al-Qaeda, Afghanistan, Iraq War Two, Somalia, Pakistan, Libya, Syria, Iraq War Three, Mali, Niger and Nigeria and the rest, man, the whole damn terror war from 79 through Donald Trump. And it's... Uh, 20 bucks, Amazon.com, and you can get the ebook from if uh, you're a Amazon boycotter, which a lot of people are. It's at Kobo Books. It's on Google Play Books. It's at um, uh, Smashwords, Barnes and Noble, and uh, very soon will be on Apple Books as well. There, if you want to get the uh, ebook of it. Yeah, if you're going to buy it on Amazon, go through scotthorton.org and use his link so he gets a little bit more of a kickback. So, yeah, thanks, man. That's true. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah, you, you need all the commission you can get, man. I know you worked your ass off and you're you're, <laughs> you're 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 one of those voices we definitely need. Even if the rest of us get shut down, we got to keep you up and running. All right, man. Well, thank you very much, Tommy. And I'm very glad that we have you on board at the Institute and all the rest of that. So uh, I'll be talking with you soon. Man. Appreciate you, brother. Choose well, it's a game that was made for you to lose. It doesn't really matter how many times, it's the same old worn out story, same old lines. There are one dirty fingers in hypocrisy, bragging on their feet of mediocrity again. Never really making any kind of change. Don't even need them enough.